Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hi there, folks. I'm Amy Wright. Thanks for listening to the Insights Podcast by Diddy TV, where we offer behind-the-scenes interviews with musicians, producers, engineers, and other various and vital contributors to the world of music. On the show today, I chat with Seth Walker, an artist I've been inspired by time and time again. He always has something positive to share, and his music is a real melting pot of sounds. Seth is an artist who realizes that in these doubtful times, we all need a little push to get us through. He writes songs of hope, songs that give us comfort, and songs that make us move. His style is very vibey and draws heavily on the sounds of the Big Easy, New Orleans. If you know him, you love him, and if you don't know him yet, I'm honored to introduce you. So please join me in welcoming Seth Walker. You're listening to Insights by Diddy TV. Welcome back to Diddy, Seth. Uh, we, we loved having you for our concert series, and I have to say that you have the distinction of being the only person to ever have a dog on stage. Oh, <laughs> really? I'm the only one? You're wow. the only one, and we love it. We, oh we still gosh. talk about it. It was awesome. Chloe. Little Chloe. Yeah. It's, Scar time. It's, uh, okay. Is Chloe still <laughs> around? Or? Yeah, yeah. Chloe's still around. Yeah, she's uh, 14 years old. Oh, my yeah. goodness. She's getting on up there. Yeah. Well, I didn't know quite where to start with you, Seth, because I have to say um, you're sort of the um, well-rounded artist extraordinaire. You, you have, uh, you're an author, you're a musician, you're an artist, and there's so much going on there, which is, is pretty fun. Uh, when I was going down the rabbit hole and researching, uh, I just didn't even know quite where to start. But I thought it'd be fun <laughs> just to kind of go back and, and talk a little bit about how you got started in, the, in this whole uh, business and music yeah. and life and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. Um, we are going to talk about your book, uh, Your Van is on Fire. I have been reading the short stories and the poems, and they're super fun, like sort of slice of life uh, snippets. Mm-hmm. And um, I, yeah. we'll get to that. Um, but I wanted to go back to North Carolina, where you were from. And what struck me is that you were from a small town called Altamaha, Ossipi. Is that how you say that? Uh, cl- pretty close. I mean, Altamaha, Ossipi, North Carolina. Altamaha, Ossipi. Okay. Ossipi, North Carolina. Yeah. So when I saw that, I thought, how old were you before you could actually tell people where you were from? <laughs> it's always been hard to pronounce and, and harder to spell. Um I mean, I, I, I grew up, it, the, the little town is outside of Elon College, if you know where that is. It's near, near Greensboro, North Carolina, right in the Piedmont, right in the middle of the state. Beautiful area. And um, I grew up on this, on this um, we had about 15 acres of land. It was a communal situation where my, my parents and another couple met at this Quaker retreat and decided to build this log house together. So we lived communally with two families, two, two families. It was nine of us living there total. Um, so, but to answer, to answer your question, I can't remember when I started to, started to learn how to pronounce that, the name of our little one, one stop sign town. So what was it like growing up in a small town and on sort of a, a commune, if you want to look at it like that, uh, yeah. com- communal living, what was that like? I mean, I didn't know anything different. It was just, it was just the way I was, I was, I was obviously brought up. It was very, um, 
you know, both of my parents are classical musicians, so they, they taught me the cello since I was a kid. I was probably, I think I started playing the cello when I was about four years old. And um, so obviously music was, was always around. Um, there was, there was lots of room. We had 15 acres of land, so was, there was a lots of room to, to run um, and, I guess most importantly, I was my imagination was running um, because I was just so. It was very unconventional um, way of, of of growing up and 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 also the way of looking at the world. You know, they they instilled uh, uh, you know alternative perspective for sure <laughs> on on many fronts. So I felt I felt. I felt free and I, I felt creative and I felt supported. Yeah. Do you think growing up in a small town uh, gave you more time to learn a, an instrument, to practice and, and do all that? Less distractions? Yeah, maybe so. I mean, it was pretty, I mean, it was, it was pretty, pretty rural. Uh, I went to now there was there was a span there for about four years. I went to a, a Quaker friend school called New Garden Friend School. It was in Greensboro that my father taught at. Um, so that was kind of you know well, that was the big city for us. Was going you know Dad and I would take the trip in his in his beat up Volkswagen cars, and we would we would roll into Greensboro, and that was a big deal for us. Um, but I, t- to answer your question, I, I think. Yeah, it was, it was, um, maybe it did allow, it did allow for me to um, not be so overstimulated, I guess, in a way. I could just, it was, it was more, it was, it was definitely a slower pace and, and music initially got me, was, you know, kind of got, got its hooks in me and then, then sports and I kind of went on from there. What instruments do your parents play and did y'all ever play together when you were growing up? Oh yeah, we yeah we always play together. We still play together to this day. Um, my mother plays violin. My dad plays every every damn thing. He plays, but he's a cellist. He's a concert cellist, and but he plays fiddle. He plays guitar. Plays piano. Great arranger, composer. Um, now my sister plays violin, and I played the cello. And it wasn't until college where I started kind of messing with the guitar. I was wondering um, that because yeah. everyone thinks of you as a singer-songwriter and guitar player. I, I don't even think I thought of you as a cellist, but um, it wasn't until college that you actually picked up a guitar and really started playing and writing and all of that. Yeah, I, it, was, it, was, it was college. You know, my dad, you know, he, he was, yeah, he had a guitar, yeah, he was kind of like Mr. Folky, you know, Mighty Wind kind of guy. And um, <laughs> so I would just strum on his guitar a little bit as a kid, but I never really I never really learned what I was doing. But when I went to college, I was studying art because um, I didn't I know I knew that I did not want to do classical music. The cello, I just kind of got burnt out on it, honestly. Um so I went to college studying art, thinking oh, that well, you know that's that's my next best thing, or that's something that I resonated with. And that's when I these guys in my dorm room were playing Stevie Ray Vaughan and Clapton and Hendrix, 
And I was like, oh, man, what is that? You know, and I, I just deep-ended from that point on pretty much. Yeah, so what was it or when when was it that you just really thought blues music is my thing? I mean, what were you listening to or when was that moment that you just said, I want to go down this rabbit hole with blues music? It's weird. I, I, I've been at, I've been asked this before, like, you know, what was that moment? But I don't I don't really even remember it. It wasn't even like a it wasn't even an epiphany or a decision. It was just something that just kind of, you know, took over. Um, but I do remember. Well, th- there was a feeling there, you know, with classical music, which is so obviously so steeped and and beautiful and traditional um especially the music that i was playing class it was a, this is called the suzuki method hey i, I played suzuki and, suzuki violin over here okay cool yeah <laughs> i that, know exactly that's, what, that's you're talking what i about. that's what i learned you know that's what that's what my both of my parents taught suzuki and um i guess i guess it was the fact that when i when i heard blues music you know it was just so expressive in a different way it was so raw and so i don't know it just touched me and you could bend when they'd bend those strings you can't bend a cello string you know it's hard <laughs> very but you know when i when i i felt that and i just immediately was just I just sat in my dorm room and I just played along with Eric Clapton records. And through Eric Clapton, I discovered Robert Johnson because he had endorsed this, Clapton had endorsed this Robert Johnson box set. And um, and I remember picking that Robert Johnson box set up and, and just kind of, that started the education of learning all of the influences you know, all of the people that influenced Clapton and, and Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan. And it was a pretty deep, deep well. So did you form a band in college? Were you playing gigs already or did that happen later? I had a little band, yeah. <laughs> I had a band I had a band called Soul Food. And, <laughs> and man, we were just, I mean, we were trying, tr- bless our hearts, we were trying to do Stevie Ray Vaughan covers. And we has we had... You can't say we didn't have fervor. We were trying. <laughs> yeah, that was my first band. Actually, that's the 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 year van is on fire. That that essay is about my first gig actually with that band. <laughs> so that's by the way, that story is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was. I thought the the title "Your Van Is On Fire" was just metaphorical or something, and then I read the short story. And your van really was on fire. <laughs> it really, it really <laughs> so. was. It's, it's, it's metaphorical as well, but it's literal. <laughs> That's like such a great college story, too, because, you know, you're yeah. 20-something and, you know, you're going to your first gig, your string breaks and all this. That was hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you can't make it up. No, you can't no. make that up. Absolutely you can't make not. It up. No. And no. so you, you leave college, and did you head straight to Austin after that? Is that when you. And went to Austin, or was that was there well, something in between? The f- the first um, flight of the coop was down to Jacksonville, Florida, where my uncle, uh, a great jazz bass player, um, he he lived down there, and he had a radio show, and he got wind that I had 
that I had gotten hip to Robert Johnson, and that just lit him up. So he started sending me tapes of his, he had a blues show called the After Hours Cafe. And so he would send me these cassette tapes, if we can remember, and uh, and it was it was just like the whole, it was a whole range, man. It was like Reverend Gary Davis and Blind Willie Mattel, uh, all the way over to Texas T-Bone and Lightning Hopkins and Gatemouth Brown to Chicago Blues, uh, Muddy and Howlin' Wolf and all this stuff. And so I I was heavily influenced by Landon uh, in that regard. So I thought, well, you know, he's the only guy I knew that was kind of outside of our little bubble that was into music. So I went there first and started messing around playing in like Grateful Dead cover bands and reggae bands. And I quickly realized that I needed to go to Austin if I really wanted to to really try to to get it to do this, you know, and be surrounded by you know, that culture. So that's when I moved. That was in 1995. So you just picked up and moved to Austin. Did you know anybody in Austin at the time, or did you just go? I knew one person, uh, Karen Abrams, who's another, who's a, who's a singer songwriter herself. And I slept on her couch the first night. I was the only person I knew. And this was this was a an, an Austin of another a, a different a different a different Austin much smaller, and I just I just made my way. I, I I will tell you this that my uncle my other uncle my mom's brother he came with me. He was ready for a change, so it was just the two of us. Well, so that was nice. You had somebody, and did you find the yeah. the musical community welcoming when you first got there? And was it easy to kind of find other people to collaborate with and and hook up with? It was it was it was such a family. I mean, they. It, I don't know what it was during that. I don't. You know, I, it just seemed like right at that time, all these people were coming to Austin, all with a guitar slung on their back, and we would do these. Uh, there would be on Sixth Street. There would be these blues jams Sunday and Monday night, and I would just go down there and listen to those guys and just trying, you know, just checking it out because Texas blues is such a there's such a distinct thing with that stuff. It's it's such a uh, such a subtle language and swing. And I was just listening, you know. And and then finally, finally, I got called up to play at one of the blues jams. And um, you know, and I got schooled and <laughs> learnt real quick. And and it just. Everyone there was so we we all learned from each other as we were as we were cutting our teeth. Um, we'd go I'd go to a friend's house and break down records and listen to them, and everyone supported each other. It wasn't cutthroat. It was cool. And were you uh, writing music already at that point, or did that come later? I, I was, but not. But I was just ripping. I was just ripping stuff off from. You know, I was I was really into. Um, I don't know what it was about the the T Bone Walker stuff. I really loved the swing of that music, and it just so happened, if you remember, in the mid nineties, remember when the swing, the neo swing craze. I don't sure. know if you remember that, but so I was doing just I was copying T Bone Walker and Gabe, uh, Louis Jordan records, and all of a sudden I started getting all these fans would come out to dance swing dance and it really afforded me it just gave me it just i started to have gigs 
and then I started to, you know, try to write songs, and it, you know, it's a never-ending process, obviously, but it took me probably a good five or six years before I got educated on, on more of the songwriting craft, and that's when I started to kind of, you know, dig into, into songwriters that were outside of the blues idiom. Did you ever play at any of the Texas dance halls? I know there's a movement now to try to save a number of those dance halls around Texas. Yeah. Many times, yeah. I played Green Hall um, so many times. Got to open up for some of my heroes there. Taj Mahal, um, uh, Robert Cray, Aaron Neville, Delbert McClinton. Um, that place is legendary. It's actually the oldest dance hall in Texas. Um, I also played at Lukenbach. Uh, there's a dance hall in Lukenbach that's really, really great and cool. Um, yeah, I lived there for 15 years. I mean, that's really where I got all this going. This was, um, I mean, I've got deep roots there. You could almost make your whole career in Texas because it's such a big state. And they're, I know. And it's a lot just people do. that people lo love live music there and they really support live yeah. music, which is yeah. makes it such a... I think, a warm environment for musicians. When did you put out your first album? It was in 1997. I recorded it at Willie Nelson's studio, Perdinalis studio. I had a drummer that was playing with me. His name was Frosty Smith. Legend, man. Rest his soul. But he, he saw potential in me, and he arranged this session with kind of pro bono for me just to kind of get going. So... Um, that was in 1997, a record called When It Rains, It Pours. And you said your parents, your parents were supportive all the way through this. So you obviously, music was going to be your career, and they were professional musicians. So I'm assuming they were very supportive of this path that you were taking. Um, yeah. Well, I have to say the story, getting back to your van is on fire, uh, this, the story of where your dad took you to a Grateful Dead concert. <laughs> yeah was uh, uh that was hilarious by the way and I, I can assure you that my dad wouldn't have been that cool but <laughs> your dad seemed like a very cool dad my dad's a pretty cool dad he's a, he's he's he is uh what they call a cat that's for sure yeah yeah well i just liked the whole juxtaposition between how much fun you and your dad were having versus this other guy that wasn't quite understanding the whole reason to be at a grateful dead concert yeah, it was quite. Yeah, it was. It was. It was kind of counter. The, the buzzkill guy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's for sure. My dad is always. Um, I mean, they, they've been so supportive the whole way. I mean, I'm sure there was a, there was a few times where they might have been scratching their chin about what I was up to, but um, you know, for the most part, I've always I've always had a great support support group in them and. And like I said earlier, they, they actually have performed on some of my albums, which, which uh, was, was a real something special for me. Yeah, how great is that? I mean, it just it had to have been a great environment to grow up, up in with parents that are musicians and you know, just being around yeah. that all the time. A lot of folks don't really have that environment, so that had to be a great environment to grow up in. And I know yeah. that you, you continue to put out some albums, but in 2006, you met Gary Nicholson as a collaborator. Mm -hmm. What was that collaboration like, and what did that lead to that was different from, say, some of your earlier albums? Well, it was 
around, um, I'll back up just a couple years and then we'll get to that. Because there was a guy that I worked with. His name was Mark Hayes. He was a drummer, great drummer from Texas. And we were, he was in my Jump Blues band. But he was the first guy to give me a, he gave me, see, he gave me a Guy Clark record. And he gave me a John Hyatt record and a Nick Lowe record and Jesse Winchester, I think. He's really just killing songwriters. And he was just really encouraging me to, uh, Steve Earle, um, to, to really pay attention to the lyric, you know. Um, and that, that was what really started to get, got, got my ear going with that. And then I, I saw Gary Nicholson play at the Saxon Pub one night in Austin, Texas, and he was playing blues, but it was like, it, the lyrics were so good. I was like, dang, I, I want to try to meld those two together like he was doing. And so I called him up. I got his number from a, a mutual friend, Al Moss, and I just, I just hoofed it to Nashville, and we sat in his garage. And um, I le- I've learned so much by writing with him. I mean, we, we've written a ton of songs. We've probably written 50 or 60 songs together through the years. And uh, just being able to kind of firsthand write with someone with that, that's just said that deep, you know, uh, was instrumental for me. Yeah. In the first album that you guys sort of put out together, was that Leap of Faith? That was yeah, that in, that was Leap in, of Faith, in, yeah. in 2009. And, and uh, yeah. actually, there was a Nick Lowe song on that album, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Lately, I've let things slide. Yeah. I saw yeah. Nick Lowe once in Asheville, North Carolina, in a Oof. tiny little club there. It was it was great. Oh, my gosh. That's actually where I am right now. I'm in Asheville, North Carolina right Oh, you now. are? Okay, I don't know yeah. why. I thought you were in Nashville. So Yeah, well, I just, with COVID and stuff, I, it, 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 things just, everything has just changed. And I, I needed to, I, I just came over to the mountains to reset my soul. The music scene in Asheville's yeah. killer. It's great. Obviously, I haven't, you know... Everything is everything's shut down right now, but my mother lives here and my father lives here as well and my sister. So this is the first time I've actually lived in the same city with my parents since I went off to college. <laughs> so was Gary the reason that you moved to Nashville in the first place from Austin to Nashville or? Yeah, pretty, pretty much. I mean, he uh, I mean, it wasn't solely Gary, but I, I, I had been in Austin for 15 years and I, I really wanted to test, you know, and just kind of break out of that little bubble and just just kind of see see what else was out there and i moved there in 2008 and yeah as you know gary was god he was so kind to me i mean he he introduced me to all these people i mean delbert uh and then that kind of opened up this whole delbert i did this he has a delbert mcclinton has a cruise every year and um and I would start doing these cruises, and through that, I just started, you know, meeting a whole group, a new group of writers, obviously musicians, and fans. Um, um, and that, and God, I mean, just the depth of <laughs> the depth of talent in that town is is quite quite staggering. It's it was it was um, a great place for me to 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 go to from Austin. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I think most people would say that you're one of those guys now that they wish they could be. So somewhere along the way, you went from 
looking up to these guys to being one of them. And that, that has to be a really cool feeling as well to have sort of arrived in the music world. I mean, because it's tough. It's a tough business. Yes, it, it is. <laughs> it's a tough business. It's 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 quite it's quite kooky. Uh, yeah, I, I. Yeah, it's it's been. I'm I'm incredibly thankful to have have, have been able to, to do this for pretty much my whole adult life. Uh, get away with this is 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 boggling. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that. You know, um, when I start to moan. <laughs> Were you were you painting this whole time? I know that that you're an artist, but is that still a big part of your life as well? The art side. It comes in little. It comes in seasons. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not diligent about it. The album cover, "Are You Open," is is a self portrait that I had done, which I had never. I had never used any of my artwork in any of my CDs or anything like that. Or my album artwork. That was fun. It kind of you know when COVID hit. I had to reinvent myself, you know. I mean, the book was the main focus for me, but I did do a lot of painting during that time as well. A couple of the paintings are featured in the book. Um, but through the years, I remember specifically there was, I guess it was like in the mid, maybe early 2000s, there was a time where I was just so busted up, man. The music business had just tore me up, man. And I sat, it was one summer, and I just painted for like three months straight. And it really helped realign me uh, with my just creative nature. You know, if you do something long enough, it's easy to get burnt, you know. And then it kind of refreshed me when I went back into playing music. And that's kind of what the book has done for me as well this time. Because I felt like I was on a flaming hamster wheel of doom touring like a madman. And then... Everything stopped, and it was kind of strange, obviously, and weird and tough. But the book gave me a new perspective on creativity. And now that I'm going back into recording a new album, which I'm in the midst of now, I have a fresh take. Well, it's interesting because we've all had to take a pause. And I, I can actually remember literally the last day it was march 11th last year that i went out to a restaurant yeah and uh and then literally the next day it was you know don't go anywhere don't do anything and when you have to take those pauses it is interesting because sometimes i think we're just on autopilot and we're we're doing our thing and when someone forces you to take a step aside you can like you said reinvent yourself or find another creative outlet um, yeah. But something maybe that you hadn't tapped into previously, and so when you're sitting, you're sitting there during COVID, and you think, I have all these stories in my head, and I want to get them down on paper. I love the format of the book because it's a group of short stories, but it's also poems. Um, you have a great uh, forward from uh, written by Oliver Wood, who I know is a is a good friend of yours as well. Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what I really liked was the vignettes because each one was so descriptive and and funny and or slice of life. And I just I just found it a, a, a really fun book to read. But Thank you. were all these stories in your head and you just thought this is the time I want to put them on paper? Not all not all of them. So some of them were I mean, I used to I I remember just telling about the Urbana's on fire to, you know, friends and buds i'd tell that that tale you know just in passing but i never wrote i never wrote them down 
Um, it is weird though. It, it is weird. Like the mem like the memory, like as I started to, you know, recount my childhood and my early days of this business and all these things that obviously left a, a lasting mark on me that, that started to unravel. Like as I, as I started to peel it away, I started to remember these things in some, in somehow in some kind of in glowing detail somehow. Um, I, 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 I did used to journal some, you know, from the road and, and some of the poetry kind of things is, is, is loosely obviously connected with songwriting. Um, but most of it, Amy was like started in March as I stared out my window of my back room. <laughs> well, there, there was a great story too when you were touring, uh, I guess in Japan. Is that where the story was yeah. set? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and just the cultural differences. And I'm sure when you're a musician, you're touring, doesn't matter whether you're going from New York to California, there's going to be a cultural difference, difference in the, yeah. the people that are there, the crowd. And, uh, that kind of came through in that story, but I was going to ask you just sort of as a follow-up to reading that story, um, mm. do you feel like you have to adjust every time you go out and play to a particular crowd in a particular area? Is it always new? It's interesting. I was just reading a, a, reading a piece about different types of music that are, when, when they were kind of originated, they were kind of created for a certain environment. You know, like classical music was, you know, obviously was written for beautiful listening dance halls and folk music and blues music was a lot of times written in the in rural cotton field. And so when you're trying to something when something one thing I struggle with sometimes is each night is a completely different type of environment, a small club, a big festival, outdoor, indoor uh you know an auditorium so you have to kind of adjust things you know i would think so and luckily luckily i'm i think i've thought about this before like growing up in this com commune i was always i was always adjusting there was different people around there was different situations for me to navigate and um Part of that's kind of a challenge, you know, and fun and and fun. It keeps it, it keeps it interesting when you go to Japan, and they, you know, they're hearing they're hearing it a, a, a different way, but somehow the music always has a way of of transcending. Um, I don't know if I I don't know if I really answered your question, but in and around. No, you yeah. got, you got to it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Well, you know, I was just thinking that from the writing standpoint that uh, it's sort of unique to be on tour because you're having way more experiences than most people have every day that go to an office and work. You're out there on the road yeah. and you're meeting people and there's just more more color there. And yeah. uh, it must have been kind of nice to have the opportunity to reflect and write some of those stories down as a part of this book. Yeah. Ab ab absolutely it was it was wonderful it was it was um it was it was very it was very honestly it was extremely freeing to not be tied to a three-minute song 
you know, it was, this is, I mean, gosh, I had two pages, you know, cause these, I mean, obviously these are short stories. So to me, it's very long. Um, and I, that was, that was very freeing. And also to, uh, there, there was no, <laughs> it was like pure muse, you know, I'm not a professional writer. I'm not, you know, I don't have a publishing deal where someone's like, you know, you know, what is this going to, is this marketable? Are we going to, we're going to sell this, you know, Amazon, all this. It was purely creative. And that was freeing. Well, yeah. And this could be my own personal opinion, but I think that your ability, your incredible ability to, to write beautiful songs kind of came through in the short stories because you really have to say a lot in a in a smaller amount of space, and that's mm-hmm. the nature of songwriting. In, in that case, you only did have three minutes to tell a whole story, yeah. and this, yeah. like you said, you had way more time and, and space to, to tell the story, but you still did so in an incredibly descriptive way that evoked not only uh, images but the feeling of the moment, uh, just everything encapsulated in a very nice short story. Cool. I mean, that that's probably why the short story format works well for me, you know, uh, because it, it is concise. And maybe that maybe some of the chops from songwriting, you know, like you said, kind of kind of spill into that because you do have to say a lot with a little. I, I, I can't imagine trying to write a novel. What that would what that would be like that would that's that's a whole other that's a whole bag of beans there. It is a bag of beans. I, I would agree yeah. with you. I can't imagine it myself. It just seems like it would take years to, to do. Maybe it does for some people. So Are yeah. You Open also came out last year. And are you still going to mm. hit the road when we're all able to uh, get back out there oh, yeah. and tour some? Oh, God. I'm I'm dying. I'm ready. I'm ready to tour. I'm ready to get back and play. I, like we were talking about earlier, you know, meeting, meeting all these, going to these different places and meeting new people and and sh- and sharing it uh yeah i promise i won't complain as much as i did maybe <laughs> <laughs> i think we've all decided we're not going to complain about anything if we can get out of the house i've i've, I've, I've made my uh my peace with god up there and said if you ever let me out again i will not complain i'll be good i'll be good i'll be good i'll be good <laughs> i'll be good <laughs> Well, just to bring yeah. it full circle, something you mentioned yeah. when we first started the interview, you said that you were also into sports as a kid. So now we've yeah. got music and art and writing and sports. So what what sports did you play? Oh God! I, well, <laughs> I lo- I mean I grew up in Carolina, so you know ACC basketball was king. You know Michael Jordan. Oh yeah. I mean I wanted to. I mean I would go out in the. We had a dirt. We had a dirt basketball court out there and i would just go have imaginary games you know being michael jordan and so and i used to design tennis shoes like basketball tennis shoes that's i would draw that and then i got into i got into tennis pretty big time i was i wanted to be andre agassi and (laughs) had the denim shorts and the gold chains and worked in a tennis shop and then later I got into golf um, when I moved to Austin. I started playing some golf. I mean, never, never professionally. Maybe once upon a time I had I had dreams, but yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, can't live every dream. No, no, but uh, it, it's fun to have those hobbies along the way. I still, I still love to play. You know, I smack the tennis ball around, and you know, my my dad, my dad's, my dad's always loved games. He's not, he's not competitive at all. He doesn't want to win. He just wants to play. And when I was when I would play sports, I would always want to. I was I always want to compete. <laughs> How about ping pong? Any pong? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, ping pong. My grandfather was a wizard ping pong player. He he was in the he was in the World War II, and they used to play on the aircraft carrier. And he he taught me how to play ping pong. Yeah. I, I actually uh, knew this guy who was uh, the ping pong champion from Jamaica. Mm. He he was uh-huh. a Olympian, a ping pong player from J- Jamaica. And uh, wow. I mean, I didn't wow, even know that was a that was a job. But I didn't either. That's it. I'm learning. That's that's crazy. Yeah, the ping pong, the ping pong, the ping pong world. I've seen those guys are insane. I don't get it. No. Yeah, too. I'm way too slow for that. Well, come on down to Memphis, and we'll play some pong, and we'll <laughs> we'll strum a few tunes, and and I'd, lo- I'd love great. to hear some music from Are You Open, and get some of that recorded down here. So we'd love to oh, have man, you. I, I would love. I, w- I would love that. I think the last time that I was there, was it right after Are You Open came out? Something like that. Yeah. Well, I'm working on a new a new album as well. I, I, I've just been playing solo acoustic, you know, doing live streams and a, a very few gigs. Um, that has inspired me um, to kind of make this more of a or- really, really organic, intimate album that I'm working on. I'm in the midst of it right now, so I don't know when it's going to come out, but now that the book's done, I had to have something else to work on. <laughs> well, let us yeah. know. Let us know for sure. Of course. We, we yeah. love you and your music and, uh, and your art, and uh, I, was, I would tell people to go buy the book because it tells a lot about you as a person, and I think it really is then sort of reflected in, in the, the view of the music and, and all of that. So great book. Thank your band you. is on fire. Ton of fun. Seth, as always, we love having you at Diddy and uh, wish you the best with the next album. Thank you so much, Amy, and everybody there. Appreciate y'all. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Seth Walker. Don't forget to visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content and to download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com 
PantheonPodcast.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.